I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's mentally yours. It's mentally yours. Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast on all things mental health. I'm Ellen. And I'm Yvette. Hello. And this week we're talking to Josh Patterson, also known as JP from Made in Chelsea. Yes. But before we get on to that, let's have a little listen to last week. Mental health is like I'm already, it's, it's already sto- sounding cliche. I mean, we're not talking about that. We're talking about what we were saying before, why we are the way we are. And it's not our fault. So if you wanted to know how we became what worked for us in the past you know we needed to be greedy we needed to compare it made us survive and we've won the evolutionary hunger game sitting here so don't you know shirk it but it's overwhelming now so it's a trade-off you know what worked for us in the past is now slightly going out of skew so now for our chat with jp we're gonna be talking to jp all about mental health in the public eye being on a reality tv show having anxiety as a guy and being used to doing physical aggressive things rather than talking about your feelings and of course being a new dad as he has just had a baby so let's just go right in there what's it like being in the public eye to the extent that you are and how has that affected your mental health so i i had really bad issues with with my my mental sanity almost I would put before I went on the show Mm -hmm. and actually by going on to the show was a bit of a gamble and actually I feel like things like today when you have the opportunity to speak to people like yourselves is so important because I think there seems to be such a hunger for fame these days that that wasn't my my reasons for going on it but there seems to be such a hunger for being Uh, praised and wanted by people and actually by speaking openly about what I've been through 
it's almost to uh, try and educate people to make decisions a little bit more careful because actually the negative effects I think being on television having a profile can actually have um because the reality is, and this is the sad case, that it's almost like when you have a profile, you're almost like property to the people. Now, not a lot of people feel that way, but you know there is still a large community that feel you are. And by being that, that property, they can speak to you and treat you in any way you wish. Now, if you have a sensitive mindset, that's a recipe for disaster. And I've seen really good friends of mine who have such beautiful souls be destroyed by people and, you know, in, by, by destroying them, it has an even bigger impact into their lives where, you know, almost to the point where disorders start to come in. And that's really, really saddening, you know, especially when this person is, is essentially putting themselves out there and being themselves to then be tarnished by individuals. You know, even for like the strongest minded person, it's, it's a really unpleasant situation to be in. You talked about anxiety in the past. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, again, I speak really openly about it because, you know, I think you know, a lot, I get it from a lot of people and I speak openly about my personal issues with it. You know, the response tends to be, how? Like, I don't look like a person that would have it. And that's what I think is so important about speaking out about it is that I am a physically fit guy. I train five days a week. I, I eat incredibly well. I don't drink alcohol a great deal. I'm surrounded by wonderful friends and yet I wake up each day and suffer from this condition. And, you know, there are days where I ask myself, why am I, why, why me? Why is that? You know, I seem to be ticking all the boxes and yet still something still isn't quite mm. happening. So by speaking out about it, um, you know, hopefully it gives people maybe some clarity on, on their lives, what it is they're going through. Because actually now I'm becoming more aware of my condition. I can kind of go back to, to being as young as sort of like six, seven years old. Um, having symptoms of anxiety. Mm. And I think actually back in the day, there was no real emphasis on mental health. It was just a case of he's a bad boy. So we'll either suspend him or we'll ground him. And actually, I think people are becoming more aware now how young and how susceptible these children and young adults are to it. Can you tell us a bit more about these symptoms that you had when you were quite young? It sounds really silly, but if you were to literally go onto a website and check the symptoms of, of what I had. I remember I went to the Sam, which was like our local school doctor or hospice or whatever. And I, you know, I, I, I listed like 10 things off, you know, sleep deprivation, there were mood swings, uh, tiredness, my focus, my like concentration had lapsed, my behavioral patterns, my dietary, like how it all went. And this guy basically was like, yes, yeah, so you have anxiety. And I was like, oh, right. Okay, cool. And it was literally like, you have anxiety. Here's, here's a, you know, a pamphlet, and I'll see you later. There was no like support network around me. So I literally, you know, a young lad, I'm walking away going, crap, I've got anxiety. You know, I can't tell my mates because, you know, it sounds silly, but I was always like, is it like an STI? Like, is it something that you can speak openly about? And because the doctor hadn't emphasized actually how serious it can be, I was kind of confused. So I was left with these symptoms and no real support around me to help me kind of, I wouldn't say get over it because I don't feel like you really can ever get over it. I feel you kind of keep it at bay. Um, so yeah, unfortunately it ended up having like a really negative impact in my life. I started to vent in, in quite negative ways. What kind of ways? I became very aggressive, really aggressive. And I speak openly about this because I, you know, this is something that I'd battled with throughout my childhood that, you know, I'm, I was not an aggressive guy, 
But I feel like when you're backed into a corner and you have no answers, I feel like it's a way humans almost express themselves. It's it's and that was mine. It was it was aggression. It was smashing things up. You know, I had a really bad month at at one stage where you know I'd smashed uh, a car up. I smashed my room up. And it wasn't because I was a bad person. It wasn't because I was a violent person. It was just because I was lost and I had no answers for it. And it almost felt like I didn't have a voice. And by smashing things up, that was my voice of concern for my parents and my friends to be aware of what was happening. I think that's quite a common kind of response from men, especially Mm. because women are encouraged like, okay, you can talk about it. It's okay to cry. Whereas the only option you're kind of given is aggression or violence. How did people react to those kind of symptoms? Did they realize what was going on? So no one knew. Mm. No one knew. That would, you know, uh, I came from, my my father is, is I love with all my heart, it came from a very hardened Northern Irish family and they don't speak about their feelings. And when I, I, I told my dad I had mental health, he went, sorry, son, I, I don't have time for mental health. As in like, I'm too busy to have something mm. like that. That wasn't him being a terrible father or, or not being supportive, he just didn't know how to deal with it. His father had raised him to keep everything in. So when his son, who speaks quite openly and is quite emotional about this type of subject, just didn't really know how to react to it. But as time has gone by, he's incredibly proud of me for speaking out about it. And I think the biggest turning point in my life is when I spoke out about it on um, Good Morning Britain. That was the first time not only my friends, but my mother and father knew the true extent of what I'd been through. Um, and I think actually it was, it, it was tough, but it was actually incredibly rewarding to finally to be able to get it out there. Were you nervous to share that that publicly? Massively so, because it went to the extent of suicide. You know, my parents never knew. Um, and again, because I felt like a, I felt weak. I felt like a failure by expressing something like that. I didn't want my friends to be aware of it because I I didn't want them to see me in a different light. And it sounds really silly, but I was single at the time. And actually, when people speak openly about about mental health, sometimes you almost get a sense from individuals that it it devalues you. It makes you become very unattractive. You know, I think when you look for a, a partner, you want someone who's stable, you know, who's confident and is the full package. And I feel like sometimes... Not, and I'm, I'm not generalizing females at all, but I think there have, there have been times where I've been in the presence of an interview, a certain female, and I came across tainted to them. And that shouldn't be the case. Because actually, for me personally, and I express this strongly, if you speak out about the conditions that you have, in my opinion, you're one of the strongest people out there. And that's the message I feel like really needs to be put out. Speak out about it. I think it's one of those things when you grow up and they go, the individual counts and you don't really believe it. But actually, if for every individual speaks out and you add those 10 and 20 and 30 and 1,000 and 100,000, those are the ones that are going to make a massive impact in this world and make a change. So since you started speaking out about it, what kind of responses have you had from friends and family and just generally the public? It's been good. It's been good to get a weight lifted off my shoulders. I'd say negatives are people forget. You know, it's it was amazing you did that, but then it's almost like okay, cool, that was a phase. Mm, now back to so all when that stuff. I, mm. you know, if I, I and I do have my up and down days, and like I said, I'm I'm in a position now where I'm a father. You know, I, I have I've started a company which you know I'm so happy about. I'm in a wonderful position. I have a girlfriend. We have a beautiful apartment together. You know, we have wonderful opportunities in life, and you know, I still wake up in the morning on the odd day. And I have really bad days and I don't have an explanation for it. 
And I think it's when you have these bad days and your friends just don't get it and you kind of, you don't want to be that guy who has to constantly remind them that there's something going on. And I think that is when it becomes really frustrating. Mm -hmm. I think by speaking openly about it, the negative side of profile, um, being property of the people. I remember when I was on main Chelsea and, you know, things weren't going particularly well with Binks. And I was being crucified by people saying, well, it's understandable. He has depression. He's got mental health. That was the blame. I was the blame. I was the issue in the relationship. And that really hurts. That's awful. That really hurts. Mm. Um, you know, I think the fact that that's already a sensitive subject in your life and then people are using that against you, it's it's a hard thing to bear, to be honest. How did you deal with that, with all the negative kind of tweets and comments coming in? Um... It's tough. Mm. It is really tough. I mean, I have thick skin. I, I mean, I, I I really do because I think I've I've been pretty badly beaten by the public for some years. Mm. Um, the reality of reality TV is that the reality is not always shown. You know, you can film things and it's not necessarily the whole story. That's the deal that you sign up for, and you know the the public will make their decision on you whether it's right or wrong. And it's one of those things where you put yourself up for it. So you have to take the hits. Um, I guess the the perk to it is that you then have that opportunity to change that. But it does get to a point where you just got to start questioning the people and just say, you know, when is enough? Mm. You know, unfortunately, it's just like, you know, if one person says a comment, there seems to be a list of them that then want to jump on the bandwagon. And then again, there are no limits to what they'll say or what they do. And for me, you know, if there's someone in a position that isn't necessarily a stronger, a strong, sorry, those are the ones that I really want to protect because actually I think, you know, it could end up being really detrimental to that individual. Do you still look at Twitter and Instagram comments? Because I know with Made in Chelsea fans, they can be quite aggressive or passionate about vocal. who they think, yeah, vocal, mm. that's the word, yeah. about who they think is right and wrong. I mean, it's... Now it's fine. Mm. I think people have seen what the reality is of my life and who I am and how passionate I am about people. There was a time, though, when things were going really bad on the show for me, really bad. And I remember it got to the point where trolls, individuals started branding me as domestically and physically violent. I was branded homophobic. The list was going on. And I was I was devastated at this because my some of my closest friends and my family are gay so mm. i was just like where has this come from they literally manipulate everything you say and they'll enhance it and by doing that you then get newspapers picking up on it and the issue with that is is that when you have certain reporters some are fantastic and they really are a credit to their industry and then some just want to make a headline and i think the issue with that then is they have no care for that individual they don't care what the impact it is on their life. They don't care of the impact that it has on their family and their friends. And that's a huge issue. And unfortunately for me, I had that for about a year solid. And there was one particular journalist who was actually the one who was starting the trend. And then the trolls would pick up the pieces. And there's nothing you can do. Mm. There's nothing you can do. Mm. I think they forget. Like, I think the se people think the second that you have a certain number of followers or you're famous it's not going to affect you at all, which mm. I think is really I don't miserable. know. If I'm honest, I don't know how you deal with that kind of yeah. stress because I had one weekend of that kind of thing. Oh, you must have I've had, had a weekend. i last week. Yeah. Full week so, of horrible messages. So I've, really? written, I've written sort of opinion pieces and I wrote an opinion piece and right. it published on the Friday. And over the weekend, I made the mistake of looking at Twitter 
and I had so much abuse, sort of like not quite death threats, but like rape threats and people just saying really vile, horrible things. And that made me feel awful and so stressed. But also there was this weird thing that I felt like I couldn't stop looking at it and stuff. Mm. So to actually be like that constantly for a year must just just be horrible, whether you have a, a pre-existing mental health issue. I mean, I have bipolar disorder. Ellen already has anxiety and depression all kinds of fun stuff yeah so i think seeing messages being like you should kill yourself it's like well you know my brain has told me that before so that's quite i think yeah you it's to, tricky you, you have to remind yourself though and i and i i constantly say this to friends and family that are affected by tr trolls trolls um i not all of them but i do feel like as i said to you guys earlier a lot of these guys who are coming across like that as aggressive as they are it, you know, I, I often go back to when I was saying to you guys about how I was smashing things up. That was my way of expressing myself. Now, these guys that are saying these terrible things to you, in my eyes, are the ones that need the biggest support. There's something not quite right going on in their life in some way or another. And unfortunately, they don't have that support network. And that kind of leads me on to the next topic of how big a deal this actually is and how you're never going to eradicate it. But how do you support it? Because the reality is the NHS is a remarkable thing and those guys work hard but there is no way they can cater for that many people so how do we come up with a solution where we can support those guys that isn't going to cost the government a whole lot of money and we can educate individuals on it and for me that's why fitness is is my my passion in life it saved my life it saved friends of my lives who were in the worst ways i've got friends who've had the worst types of depression have been drug addicts they've been alcoholics They've needed something to be addicted to. And when they've reverted to fitness, it's changed their lives. And it's changed their lives for the better, to be honest with you. Um, and I feel like these are certain solutions that we can cater for. We all live by parks or fields. If we can create workouts, something, even free programs where, you know, certain individuals can go down and help you out for local communities, you know, everyone has time or if they don't they have to kind of make time and i think it's always like we have to stop thinking about yourself mm. and actually try and help others that are around you that's what i try and do each day i try and help someone you know i'm very lucky with the position i'm in that a lot of people message me because of what i've expressed if i can just message one person back each day doesn't have to be a massive amount of advice. It could be something very small. The impact that it has on that person's life is huge. And you can tell because the messages you then get back, this has changed. I'm so much happier about this or this has become a little bit easier throughout my day. And again, I think people actually underestimate the impact that they can have on that individual's life. There's loneliness, which is yep. intensifying any kind of mental health issues, any anger. I think that's when people turn to violence or trolling. Um, so yeah, I think fitness and things like that or a massive help mm. are there any other ways that people can kind of combat loneliness and bring people together do you think i think trying to surround yourself in any form of community mm. one thing i always say is it's it's about having the awareness and the understanding you could be in a community of people and you could be going i'm going crazy here nobody understands me but they're all getting on so well why 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 am i the odd one out and the reality is it's not because you're a bad person. It's not because you're worse than anyone. It's not because you can't be helped. It's just because you're in the wrong environment. So what you need to do is it's trial and error. And this is what I've really been investing in. You have to find the environment that suits you best. 
So I'll try and make this story as quickly as possible. But there's a guy, Alex, who is 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 going to become a huge part of my life. He's the most amazing guy. And he messaged me about a year ago. And he was like, Josh, you know what? I'm in a really bad way right now. I'm at university in Manchester. I'm suffering really badly from depression. I can't talk to anyone about it. I'm becoming quite violent. I don't expect you to read this message, but if you would just send me something, I would appreciate it. So I read the message and I got back to him and straight away. I was like, Alex, I'm so sorry to hear about this. What is it that you're doing with yourself? You know, like, what do you love? And he said, I love sport, but I don't do it anymore. I said, well, what do you do? He said, well, you know, there's not a lot to do. I don't, you know, I, I haven't entered in any teams. I'm surrounded by guys who drink and do drugs. And I, it's not my, it's not my vibe. I don't enjoy it. I was like, well, have you thought about signing yourself up for something? And he was like, well, what? And I was like, well, I've just done a Tough Mudder. Would you sign yourself up for that? You need to get a focus. Get up in the morning, you go to the gym or you run around the park, have a focus, set it up. So he signed himself up for this Tough Mudder, which was in September. And I was like, do you know what? If you stay true to your word until September, I'll do the race with you. So a week before September happened, he sent me a message. He went, I just want you to know I've I've trained this entire time. It was like four months. I was like, shit, this guy actually part of my friend. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I actually did it. I was like, this is brilliant. So I ended up going and meeting this guy. I drove a couple of hours um, down south to meet up with him. And he was like this six foot three lad. He was huge, rugby player. I was like, again, impressions. I'd be mm. like, how does this brick suffer from something? He, like, he looks like an athlete to me the nicest guy in the world. He brought his mum and we did the run. So we had three hours together to just run around. And I, I was just like, I'm telling you now, man, from my experience, there is absolutely nothing wrong with you at all. You are charming. You're hilarious. You're educated. You're a bright young lad. The issue you have right now is the fact that you love sport. You've cut the only thing in your life that you really love. And you put yourself into an environment with people that just aren't the same wavelength as you. They want to be staying up till six in the morning doing God knows what. That's just not your bag. What you need to do is just go back to university, sign yourself up to a team of some sort, which he's done. His life's changed. That's not anything special. That's just one small little step in his life that he had to make. He's made it and his life is a lot better for it. And I think he's now signing himself up for several other tough mudders. So he's found himself a new passion in life. Now, that didn't cost anybody any money. Mm. It was a simple solution. And I think it's just trying to find individuals that have that time and freedom to help people like Alex. I'm actually doing Tough Mudder this year. So no Good luck. Oh, I'm amazing. terrified. You'll be addicted, trust oh, yeah. me. I have a feeling I will, but training is slightly concerning. Oh, brilliant. You'll love it, trust me. It, I'm excited. For me, it sets a standard. The minute you do that race, it's a race that you may think you can't do. And yeah. then when you do it, just put that into the rest of your life. It's another thing. That sounds good. You'll surprise yourself. Speaking of trying new things and new experiences, you have recently become a dad. Yes. How has that affected your mental health? How are you dealing with the stress of that? Because obviously it's very different it's experience. Crazy. You know what, start having, having a daughter or a baby is one thing and then having a baby in a business in one year is a completely different ball game. Maybe I'm crazy for it, but I just, I'm 27. So I think if there's the right time, this is the time to kind of do it now. Being a dad though, it, it's, it's an incredible thing. It, you know, I feel like it really does put things into perspective. And the one thing that I've been really lucky with, there was a company, Uber Kids, that came along and gave me an opportunity to write a daddy blog. Now, I'm not a blogger. I'm so dyslexic, so I have to have my work corrected quite regularly. Otherwise, I'd probably get trolled for that. <laughs> 
Um, but it's been a, I've been able to express the highs and the lows of being a dad because I think again in in this public eye you get this perfect perception of parenthood, and it you know there are days where it sucks it really does, um, and I've had my 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 low days and again I think it's almost like when you have a, a child, people are really like concerned or c- completely surprised that you can still suffer from anxiety or depression and actually. I think because I speak openly about it, you know, I've spoken to fathers who are CEOs of companies earning millions, right? They have an incredible life. They have two beautiful children and they have the worst depression they've ever had and they can't explain it. And they're so in fear of speaking to people about it because of the judgment that they will receive. And that's crazy. And I think that's what's really important about anxiety, bipolar, depression, whatever your condition may be. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight. Everybody suffers from it, no matter how perfect your life may perceive. And actually, again, when these guys start speaking out about it, those are the ones that are going to make the biggest impact in this world. Well, we are really very angry about this shit. Yes, we are really very angry about this shit. Thanks very much, JP. So one thing that I'm angry about this week is something that was brought to my attention by the charity SANE. There's obviously lots of really strong mental health charities in Britain um, tweeting all kinds of interesting things. And they had a tweet out about how cells and custody suites are being used as places of safety for children whose only crime is not delinquency, but to be distressed. So basically what they're saying is um, police are now kind of doing the job of the NHS in some cases. Mm. So people with mental health issues are being kept in cells. That is absolutely awful. Because think about like the stigma that reinforces. Mm. You're literally being put in a jail cell. You're literally being locked up. Um, they also said the majority of cases detained by police are young people who are self-harming or suicidal. So I suppose the argument there is that, you know, they're being sort of held there for their own mm. good to sort of stop them harming themselves. But yeah, at the same time, it's just, it's like going back decades, isn't it, really? Yeah, it's appalling. Maybe we could get some more mental health funding and yeah, instead of a load of government cuts to the NHS, they could stop doing give, that. Give us money. Yeah. I think it's difficult because I always assumed like you can only get mental health help if you're in crisis point. Mm. But then I've been speaking to a lot of people who have been in crisis, crisis point and they still have to wait hours to buy to be seen by anyone they're not taken seriously mm. um and that is down to funding if the crisis team is only made up of like one person at a hospital at night mm. they're not able to help someone so that's when they resort to things like we'll just put someone in jail cell mm. so it just proves how much we do need funding not just for the long-term stuff that we all know about but for the actual crisis points stupid crap my brain has told me that's boy and Stupid, 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 stupid. Stupid crap my brain has told me is that um, trolls on social media are definitely correct and I should listen to them, which is a bad thing to think. Um, I basically had like a really bad week of just nonstop messages, emails, Twitter notifications of some really quite nasty stuff. Mm -hmm. But it gets to the point when... I think the stress of that does make you more susceptible to these messages, Mm. especially when there may be messages that a tiny voice in your head is telling yourself. So, you know, when people are saying you should be fired, it's like, maybe I should be fired. Maybe Mm. I will be fired. When they're saying you should kill yourself, it's like, maybe I should do that. Like it's, you know, I know on a logical level, like these are very angry, upset people 
and they don't I don't genuinely think that they believe that I think they're just saying it for a reaction mm, and, and they're not if, thinking about the the fact that there were to have exactly, people at all exactly and even if they did genuinely believe that doesn't make it true like they don't know they don't know who I am on a bigger level than just one article that they're angry about mm. and I think one thing that makes it more difficult is that the negative stuff is always more than the positive stuff mm. like in general on the internet and I think this is something everyone should kind of realize is that most people who read something or look at something are like oh that's nice they don't actually comment yeah they just kind of read it and they send it to someone or they just like your picture rather than commenting mm -hmm. people that comment on the ones who are angry enough to actually get up enough kind of emotional energy to be like you're a whole person. Yeah. And it's going to be the shoutiest people, the most aggressive people. So even though it might seem like 80% of people who've seen your picture or your status are angry and negative about it, it might actually be the majority are positive, but they're just not shouting about it. Mm. Because why would they? That's exactly what I say to my bloggers, yeah. to my freelancers, just that if, um, if they have written something slightly controversial, I mean, they have to think about their whole body of work and also the way that, yeah, a lot of the time people will just, as you say, they'll see a piece and they'll think, oh, yeah, that's nice. Mm. But it doesn't make themselves sound clever or funny or interesting or, you know, they won't get noticed if they just, no one gets noticed for putting under a piece, oh, that's nice or, oh, mm. that, you know, that cheered me up or that's a nice piece. That just doesn't seem to happen, exactly. which I think is a bit of a shame, actually. I don't know how if we could encourage people to do that. but Well, I was thinking about this recently is like, when I read really great stuff, I very rarely comment on it. Yeah. I just think, oh, that's brilliant. I save it for myself. Or you might share it, but yeah. then the author never really gets to know exactly. about that. So I think one thing we could do is that genuinely, if you do have something nice to say, like say it. Mm. Because I think people assume, oh, they hear it all too often. Yeah. But um, I read this really brilliant piece about depression actually by Zoe Beatty mm -hmm. for The Pool. And I tweeted her being like, I'm sure you're getting bombarded with these messages, but it's incredible. Mm. She must have been like, no, thank you. Like, it's great to hear those things, mm. which obviously it is. Like, no one's going to be irritated that they get another message saying this really helped me mm. or this was really brilliant. Yeah. So so that's the thing. If you're going to, I suppose if you are going to share a piece, then maybe at the writer. Yeah. In. Like, so. do it. Just tell people when they've made a difference. I've been thinking about this as well, because I've had sort of loads of negative feedback and some positive feedback through the years on my various pieces yeah and um I still have a favorite which I have now screenshotted and um keep on my phone because it cheers me up and um it Is it was a nice one or a bad funny one no it's a nice one oh. I don't know if I should name her because I, I don't want like her to feel embarrassed but genuinely a woman wrote on one of my pieces the woman who wrote this needs a pay rise and an award I'm not making that up so I yeah you show that to your bosses That's... yeah well, I was thinking about one. making it like my Twitter picture header thing. But you know what? Someone else um, who's this gynecologist used a quote from one of our pieces about us calling her a vagina legend. <laughs> I think that's, if someone ever calls me a vagina legend, I'll be so That'll happy. Be up there. Or yeah. mental health legend or any of the other important stuff we talk about. Mm. But yeah, I just think like we very rarely express just nice things to each other. And mm. we assume that it's already being said. But the internet can often be an overwhelmingly negative place. Mm. So if you do have something nice, say, throw it out there. And in real life as well, like, don't be nervous about giving compliments. No one's going to be annoyed about getting a compliment. Mm. And it could really make their day and make someone feel less lonely and less rubbish. So this is goodbye from mentally old.
If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, then give the Samaritans a call on 116123. Or you can go to the website, which is samaritans.org. If you like this episode of our podcast, please give us a review on iTunes. And if you fancy it, you can follow us on Twitter at mentallyyours, spelt Y-R-S. And you can join our snazzy new Facebook group, which is actually not that new anymore, but it's growing. Yeah, it's been around um, a while. So it's Mentally Yours, and that's a Facebook group where we chat about all things mental health, talk about what you want to hear on the podcast. So yeah, definitely join in the conversation there. Yeah, come and chat. Thanks very much to Sam Bonham, our producer, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. And to JP for talking to us all about mental health. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.